Welcome to the Social Lights podcast with Kate Vandervoort, where I interview changemakers and innovators on how they connect with their tribe on social media. Brought to you by Social Mediology. Welcome everyone to the Social Lights podcast. This is episode number 50 and I have today with me Patria King. Patria is CEO of the Quest for Life Foundation, which she established in 1989. She's a well-known author, inspirational keynote speaker, teacher and facilitator. More than 125,000 people have attended residential programs or counselling with Patria and her team since 1985. She's a regular guest on ABC Radio Sydney and has been for almost 20 years on Richard Glover's Midweek Conference and Nightlife. In 2003, she was celebrated on Channel 9's This Is Your Life and has been featured on Australian Story, Compass and many other television productions. Patria's received the Advance Australia Award, Citizen of the Year and the Centenary Medal for her contribution to the community and has been nominated for Australian of the Year each year since 2003, as well as being a New South Wales finalist for Senior Australian of the Year in 2011. Patria sees crisis as a catalyst for personal growth and understanding and as an opportunity for healing and peace. Welcome, Patria. It is wonderful to have you here today. Oh, I feel very privileged to be your 50th interviewee. Thank you. Well, I couldn't think of a better change maker and innovator to have on our 50th episode. Um, so Patria, tell us, what is it that lights you up? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, I think seeing people who feel a victim of their circumstance recognise that they actually have choice, that they don't have to be a helpless victim and that they might not have control over what happens to them, but they can always find a way of responding having control over how they respond to the situation they're in. To me, that's constantly inspiring because, you know, we do meet people with huge enormities going on in their life of confronting their mortality or their child has been killed or their children have been killed, you know, where there have been really serious uh, tragedies and traumas. And yet the people who come to us are people who refuse to be defined by whatever's happened to them. And that's very inspiring company. So they get me up every day. Yes, what an amazing thing to get up for. Um, so tell us a little bit about your journey up to launching Quest for Life. What was the, the inspiration behind that? Well, you know, everyone has a story, of course, and there's a big difference between the bones of our story and the flesh that hangs off the bones. But the bones of my story were simply that I grew up with a brother who probably invented ADHD 20 years ahead of anyone knowing what that was. So Brendan pretty much filled our house and I did my best to be invisible, to have absolutely no needs. He told me before we were both 10 that he knew he had to kill himself by the time he was 30. And I took that on as the purpose for my existence. I'm here to make sure that never happens. I remember as a little girl thinking, I'll have to grow up very quickly so I can look after Brendan. And I promptly grew 23 centimetres in the next 15 months, and that deranged the bone growth in my legs. So I left school at 13, went into hospital, had three years in hospital, having my femurs cut and my lower legs turned out, my tibias cut, lower legs turned in. And so that was fantastic because I was away from Brendan, whom I adored but found very scary. 
I was out of school, which I found totally overwhelming, and I could read the books that I was actually interested in. So I devoured Thomas Merton and Alan Watts and Krishnamurti and the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita and all of these books that wrote about why are, why are we here as human beings? And, you know, lots of other things happened after that. I was sexually assaulted. And that was my first sexual experience while I was actually in a back brace. Um, I was quite crippled with arthritis in my early years, and that's why I learned to meditate. It's why I changed my diet. Um, and then Brendan was in and out of dealing with depression and, and occasionally suicide. And finally, he did take his own life in 1982 when he was 32. And just after that, my husband and I and our two small children moved to America. And we'd only been there four weeks when I thought he'd gone for a long walk, but my husband had gone back to Australia. And just after that, I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia and I was relieved because by then I felt like I don't know how to do a good life. This is too hard. Maybe I can do a good death, but I don't know how to do a good life. And so it was a very cathartic time for me, really. I went away from my children. I went away from my family into a little cave outside of Assisi in Italy. And it was really in that little cave that everything came unstuck. Um, because in our family, we never cried about anything. We always coped and never wept about anything. And it wasn't until I got into that little cave that I could no longer keep the tears at bay. I wept for Brendan. I wept for myself. I wept for my children. I wept for my parents. I wept for humanity. Why does it have to hurt so much just to be human? And after I came back to Australia and found I was in a very unlikely remission, which the doctor said wouldn't last, I actually found that more difficult because when you know you're going to die, there are things you have to say and do and organise, and I said and done and organised them all. So I'd done all of that, but then I had my whole life all packed up in this little suitcase all ready for the big trip, but then the plane was cancelled and I was faced with how much do you live with how much do you unpack? How do you live with any confidence in life? And, of course, after a little while, I realised that everybody lives with a tremendous amount of precariosity in life. They just don't know they do until they do. But I imagine you and many of our listeners probably know that life can change in a breath, in a moment, and surely 2020 taught all of us that, and it's never the same again. And there is no going back. There's a going forward, and we have to go forward in a way that adapts to the circumstance that we find ourselves in. So when I lived in that great uncertainty, it was very challenging first to have, even to think of my children coming back and living with me, because what if they come back and I then go out of remission and die? Um, I didn't know what to do with my time. Um, but I was trained as a naturopath, so I finally went into practice as a naturopath, very reluctantly. I didn't really want to be a naturopath. But then all these people came with cancer and HIV and AIDS in the 80s, and all of them, they had a story, and their story might have included growing up in weird circumstances, growing up with someone who was mentally unwell, sexual assault, grief, loss, trauma. And while we never know what it's like for the other person, it's never helpful to say, 
I know exactly how you feel. If you've been in those dark, hard places yourself, it can make you a better companion to be with other people who might be new to that territory. And if we can show up when we don't know what to say and we don't know what to do, love shows up when you don't know what to say and it doesn't know what to do, preferably with a casserole in hand. So that's been my privilege ever since is to show up when I don't know what to say and don't know what to do because I know that your presence, your wholehearted presence can be an enormous gift to the recipient because they have their own best answer. But your quietness might enable them to find their own best answer and that's a great gift for them. You've obviously had the University of Life to bring you up to starting uh, Quest for Life. And I was going to wait until the end of this interview to share that I'm your daughter. <laughs> However, it feels really weird having this conversation, <laughs> pretending, not that I'm pretending to not be your daughter, but yes. to not have declared that I'm your daughter. <laughs> so, yes. yes, because um, you were one of the small children that I left behind when I went to that cave. You were one of the small children that I really tussled with. Can I have someone come and live in my life and be dependent on me again if I'm going to die? How, what's that going to do for my children? So, yeah, there were lots of complexities that obviously your experience of the story I've just told is very, very different. It must be. Uh, from my story, because you were the child who suffered through a lot of that as well. And indeed, I'm sure that it's been part of your own strength and resilience and, and background is the complexities that you had in your own growing up. So, Well, and I wanted to share that before we get into Quest for Life, which really started in our lounge room when I was a child. That's <laughs> why it feels weird not to have said anything. So tell us about, because um, I remember that time very clearly of all of the people that were coming to see you in our home. And, you know, a big part of what we're here to talk about today is, is building community and social mm. media wasn't around back then, but we had a community in our We had a, an amazing community. Mm. So maybe share a bit about, um, you know, how Quest for Life came about, and I'm not sure that you sat down and pulled together a board and decided that you were <laughs> going to start an organisation, uh, which is where a lot of great organisations come from. But talk yeah. about those early days of Quest. Well, those early days, really, my focus was firstly to raise my children for as long as I possibly could to get them as fully cooked as I possibly could before I died and to do this work that seemed to be a very rare sort of work in those days. At one stage, it was called midwife for the dying, you know, <laughs> someone who helps you through those last years, months, weeks, days of your life. And we did have a powerful community. You know, we had the Monday morning support group from 11 till one. People came from all over Sydney. They loved and nurtured each other in most dramatic and wonderful ways over years and we we drew together when someone died and we hung on to each other and we created rituals to acknowledge and celebrate the life of people that we loved and lost 
Uh, we had weekends away in the country, which I know you were many, many times a part of, where 50 people, half of them with cancer, half of them with AIDS, would all go for a weekend retreat uh, down near where I live now. And those were incredible times. You would think back in the 80s, mixing people with cancer and AIDS was not a good idea that they didn't have much in common, but they were all facing their mortality. And there were these incredible bridges across community because we were united by our contemplation of mortality and what matters in life and what's, what really matters in life. And people drew together and had very deep conversations about that. So there was a very powerful community. And I know at one point, eight of my boys in one week died in one of the AIDS groups. And, you know, I was with a client and the phone would ring and, oh, okay, that one's gone, okay, back to the client. And then the phone would ring, oh, that one's gone, okay, back to the client. And this just taking on all these deaths eight of them in one week. And I know I had to schedule some time just to go and sit down at Balmoral and sit with those people and complete those relationships with those people because we love them. You love them. We love them. We, we opened our homes, our hearts to those people. They treated us with the greatest of respect, even though they came from all kinds of backgrounds. Nothing ever went missing. Um, they were extraordinary. So we had 200 people through our lounge room for about 10 years. Um, and I think one of the great gifts that came out of that for you and your brother was that you actually became very comfortable relating to people regardless of what their body looked or sounded or smelled like. <laughs> you had wonderful ways of connecting with the being rather than just the behaviour because we did have some very sick people and sometimes if they were suicidal, they might move in uh, for a day or two until they were just through that patch and we connected them up with other services. So there was a very powerful sense of community before social media. So you can only imagine how it's grown since. I remember, um, you know, I went to, was privileged enough to go to a private girls school. And I remember times going to school when we had people in our home who were really unwell and dealing with such significant life challenges. And I remember some of the conversations at school about, you know, dad can't afford to keep the ski resort this year, or we only get to go on three overseas holidays, not, <laughs> not yeah. four. And some of those just that real mismatch between people who were dealing with real life challenges and those who were yes. uh, dealing with more material ones and just really feeling that tension as yeah. a young person of, of seeing, I guess, things that most young people don't, yeah. don't see. And do you think that background, you know, the fact that you did have so many interactions and conversations with people with life-threatening illnesses and and that you witnessed the strength of community growing up through those groups. Do you think that influenced your own passion, perhaps, for building community now? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, there were so many memories I have of that time of where we would move in to somebody's home when 
a member of the family was passing away or even times like Easter and Christmas where we would make candy canes and cards and you'd take us into the hospital to, well, the hospice to go and be with people who didn't have family. And so much of those interactions with people gave me a really deep sense of the importance of life and um, you know, there was there was a lot to learn from those people and seeing them go through uh, often end of life in really graceful and beautiful ways was amazing to learn that so young. And there's no yeah. doubt that all of those experiences of opening our home, not always willingly, there were plenty of times where I wish it wasn't that way, um, but where that being that how I grew up has influenced how I'm raising my own children in terms of their care for others and their connection with others and mm. and really you know having a an understanding for what's important mm. Mm. yeah no I'm I uh, it's interesting I, I wouldn't be at all surprised because it was a very big part of your life for a, a long time and there were many times where it was not always comfortable remember sometimes people moved in one stage Rosemary moved into my bed and I slept in the lounge room for a few months uh, because she didn't need to be in a hospice and she didn't need to be in a hospital but she couldn't manage at home so I, I'm sure those all had an influence but with social media now the possibility of building a vibrant community that really cares about each other even when they haven't met is quite extraordinary. That I find um, an, a, a very exciting adventure into building community now, where you build very strong bonds of friendship and, and loving bonds where you really care about another person's life that you've never met. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Absolutely. And, you know, there's such pros and cons to social media and it can absolutely bring out the worst in people. But every day I see, and you no doubt do as well, see the amazing uh, connection and support that can happen for people in a way that has never, you know, was not possible before if you were housebound or, and even a lot of the communities that exist around particular illnesses, or you've got communities of people who have a missing person in their life or who have lost a loved one to suicide. You know, there's yes. so many communities that form around common life experience and mm. the support and connection that can happen there is is beautiful I so, think what happens in those groups too is there's so much you don't have to say because we've already got this common experience of you know we're all dealing with this illness or we're all dealing with this suicide or we're all dealing with and so there's not an a lot of preliminary conversation that's necessary and so from those humble beginnings in our lounge room, you now have an amazing uh, residential facility in the Southern Highlands of New South Wales and people come together for residential programs there. When people connect, do you find that after those experiences, are they using social media and technology to remain connected with each other beyond the bounds of the program? Yes, we find participants use social media in a variety of ways. So there's the Quest Facebook page where there's a lot of interaction and as an organisation we post very regularly to maintain, we have a very high social engagement 
um, on our Facebook page. We have another Facebook page, which is a meditation group. And I take that one every Monday night at half past seven for about 40 minutes. And there's about three and a half thousand people in that group. And they're all over the world. We've got a surprising number of people in Africa, in Israel, Ireland, America, South America, all over the, the world, a lot in India. Um, they don't all come online at the same time because it's live every Monday evening, but they can access it at any time, and they do afterwards. Um, and then what we often find too is because a group comes together on a Monday and, and you can see on a Monday they're often wondering what on earth they've got in common with all the other participants. And by Friday, they're just firm friends for life. And so they often will create their own closed Facebook group just of the participants who are on their program. And they continue to support each other and share stories and encourage each other through that Facebook page. So it's used in a variety of ways. We're, we're also live and online three times during the week as well for half an hour, where our facilitators might explore some technique or subject or unpack something from the program in a little more depth. And that enables participants again to come together, to relearn, to, to rehear. Uh, and for those who've never been to Quest to still get some of the benefit of what we do at Quest, even though they may never get to the to Bundanoon itself. And I mean, you have a, as you've said, a really engaged community. Do you find that through what you're sharing online that you are exposed to new audiences and that people find out about your programs through social media or is it more connecting people who are already familiar with you and your work? No, it's expanding all the time and particularly during lockdown because we decided last year during lockdown I'd be on air every night at I think it was half past seven every evening. And so I was online every evening at half past seven for three months. And during that time, we, it opened it up to many, many other groups that we'd never had any contact with at all government organisations, uh, wildlife carers, whether it was palliative care nurses, whether it was people from the bushfires, but people who were having a very hard time, either because of the isolation and having to work from home or because of their fears around disease because they were immune suppressed. But those videos that we did in that three-month period were viewed over 150,000 times just in that three-month period and many more times since. And then after we were reopened again for programs at the centre, we've also been called on constantly ever since to conduct programs for people who found us through that online experience during lockdown and have subsequently contacted us and we've worked with them in a corporate setting or in a... Um, workshop setting, lots of different ways that we might have met the needs of those people through that time. How have you managed, because um, I know the core of your work and the core of what you do is about human connection and, as you say, being present for people in some of those most challenging times. How in that transition as technology has become a, a bigger part of your work, how have you 
maintained that real human connection and that presence? Do you feel like it's been affected by technology? I think it's been affected in a positive way by technology because the online environment does give us an environment in which we can come together and meet. So that, that's a, definitely a plus. I think it's also a really good way of keeping in touch with people and where they're at, you know, because many of the people that we work with may be dealing with anxiety or depression or despair or hopelessness or powerlessness. And, you know, some of these people have been suicidal in the past. Many of them have attempted suicide in the past. So we want to make sure that we have a good, warm, open relationship with those people so they feel they can always call on us as well because we want them to reach out for that more critical help at times when they might need it. But for the rest, it's a lovely way of us coming together. And so many people have said that coming to Quest saved their life and maintaining that relationship after they've been to a place that had such a significant impact for them, I think it is a tremendously important thing for us to do. And I think the online environment allows us to do that. And we're constantly exploring other ways that we might use social media as a way of interacting with our audience, whether it's just a little chat every now and again, um, but how do we keep them engaged and feeling like they have a relationship with us, even though they may have travelled hundreds of kilometres to come to a program and, and go back there. But that's what I love about the online medium is that you can reach people in Whoopichook wherever they are. So that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, and rather than it being a transient community that comes for a period of time and then moves away, it's it's got a compound, compounding factor in terms of growing over time. Yes, yeah, it's growing constantly. And the meditation group in particular is growing constantly. And I, I'm not even sure how that growth happens because... You know, there might be a dozen different countries in Africa where we have two or three people from each one of those. And I'm not even sure how that has happened, how they've come across it in the first place. But I know when I was on holiday in Nairobi um, a couple of years ago now, the manager of the hotel came to me uh, while we were having dinner and, and said that outside of the hotel she volunteered with street kids and they used my videos that are on YouTube, I imagine. They used them every Saturday night to uplift the children who were living on the streets who were feeling very hopeless and despairing about life. And honestly, you could have knocked me over with a feather because here we are sitting in a hotel in Nairobi and the manager is telling me what she does outside of her work time and she's accessed the videos. I mean... That blew me away, still blows me away, um, that people can find access to valuable, practical, useful information anywhere in the world. It's extraordinary. Absolutely. Well, you've been sending rainbows for many, many years and now true. technology allows you to do that en masse. <laughs> That's absolutely true. So what's, the, what's next for Quest for Life, Patria? Where do you see 
um, the organisation going and how that's going to continue to serve people? Uh, well, at the present, we're very focused on building because what we've found in our five-day programs where people learn about neuroplasticity, so they learn about what impact the trauma has on the, the primitive brain and how we can re-engage the neocortex and, and heal the primitive brain. They, they understand epigenetics and neuroplasticity, but then they go home to unsupportive or isolated environments, or maybe in an environment where they've got some habits that are best left behind at this point in their life. So we want them to move in for a four-week program after they've completed the five-day. And this will be like a therapeutic community where they all support each other with support from staff to implement everything that they've learned in that five days. And I'm convinced most people will completely recover from post-traumatic stress injuries, or they'll be so far down the path that they'll know exactly what they need to do to continue. So it addresses their personal situation, but then it also begins towards the end of that four weeks to look at career and what kind of work might be interesting for them at this point in their life, and then helping them back into the connecting to those services as well. So, and there's quite a lot of aftercare too so that we really support those people into full recovery. So a lot of our energy is going there at the moment. And that's certainly very uh, grassroots and, and practical and hands-on. And I'm sure that social media is always going to play a really important part in how Quest builds community, because not everyone's ever going to get to Bundanoon. And so we're looking at the moment at online courses that are like standalone courses that people can do for sleep or anxiety or burnout or depression so that we can take some of what we learn, what we teach at Quest, put that into a learning environment for people so they can access it from anywhere in the world. So that's another thing that we'll be doing in the online environment. And then there may be some other live opportunities for us to conduct our, our residential programs in a non-residential setting, but through the online medium. And I think that's got a lot of, we did some of that during the bushfires and during COVID last year, where we ran a three-day, we ran a five-day online program. They were incredibly successful, but a bit hard to sell to people. We found that, you know, people who attended a five-day online program uh, after they'd lost their homes to bushfires and so on, it was a big sell to get them to sit with a computer for five days, which I really get, and the feedback from it was extraordinary and the depth of relating to each other was extraordinary. So that's something that we definitely like to look at more, but we might need to look at how long is the ideal length of time? And I think five it would probably be too long, whether it's, you know, four hours on a Saturday, each Saturday for four Saturdays or something like that. So we're going to experiment with that online environment and find what works best for our community. I know how important, um, you know, being able to control environment is when you're running a residential program. So it must be interesting to try and replicate that sense of safety and security mm. and comfort mm. for people when they're in geographically dispersed 
locations. And I know there are very few people I come across at the moment who aren't completely zoomed out and, you know, have kind of got the uh, the online overload. So yes. I imagine that will be an interesting journey and you know with such a wonderful community you've got the perfect people to give you feedback about that too exactly exactly so we want to have some educational components some emotional support components some interactive components so I'm really looking forward to exploring you know what is it that will because I think we're all pioneers in this you know we're all at the the cutting edge of how do we engage most skillfully and most rewardingly for the person engaging with us, how do we do that in the most skillful way possible? And maybe that's something that we're in the process of evolving at the moment and that we haven't actually arrived at uh, having sewn that up completely. Hmm. And so, Patria, when you think about other people who are starting a business, a coaching practice, counselling, whatever it might be that they are starting and they're wanting to create a community, what, what's your advice around bringing people together and particularly using online technologies to do that? Well, I've got a bit of grey hair now, so it gives me, um, means I've had a little bit of experience and I think what what matters is your intention. Be very clear about what is your intention and then show up. So if you've committed that you're going to show up every Monday night at 7 o'clock or you're going to commit to doing whatever it is, follow through. And you follow through even when no one turns up because you need to set the intention. It actually is a vibration that vibration is actually, it may have been conceived in your mind, in your awareness, which is more than just your body, but it has an energy associated with it. And that energy goes out into the universe. So if it's a little bit ambivalent, if it's a little bit, mm, I'm not sure that it's the right thing to do, or I don't have enough confidence or whatever, it interferes with that vibration that goes out from yourself. So be clear in your intention, set the tone, set the vibration. And I know when I first started running a, a Tuesday night meditation group in our home, um, you know, the first few weeks, we might have had two, three, four. Ultimately, it was 50 every week, but we didn't know It'd be a different 50 sometimes every week. Uh, but the people just knew that Tuesday night, half past seven, turn up at Patria's, there was a meditation happening. And because it went on for years, sometimes people didn't come for three or four years and then they'd turn up again. So it's got an energy, it's got a vibration. And if you pour yourself into that, you're pouring yourself into that energetic field and it will begin to resonate for those that need to come to what it is that you have to offer them. And so it's a relationship that we have in the unseen world with people who already resonate with us. But we have to put out a message that they will hear and vibrate to and want to respond to. It's so important because I think so many people start 
wanting to be everything to everybody and not everyone is a fit for your community it's about really finding those that do resonate and those that do that well are the ones that do show up bring all of who they are and Mm -hmm. in turn attract uh, Mm -hmm. the right community around them the other thing too i'd say is own your time if you don't feel like you own every one of your 168 hours every week chances are you could be resenting some that you think other people have got claim on. So own your time. We checked it out internationally. Everybody gets 168 hours. And people say all the time, if I had more time, I'd go to the gym, I'd meditate, I'd have a better diet. You don't have more time. You have 168 hours. Your job is to divvy up those 168 hours so you replenish yourself first before the kids, before the pot plants, before the community, that you replenish yourself physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually so that you bring your well-resourced self to those 168 hours that you're going to consciously divvy up. And if you've divvied them up, to be available for an hour every week and no one turns up and after five minutes you absent yourself, you haven't put any energy into that hour that you said you were going to dedicate for this purpose. So when you divvy up your time, turn up 100% and give it your focus, attention, rather than being half-hearted about anything. And I mean, that's that's the great part about nearly dying and then not. You know that time is precious and that every day above ground is a great day and that you want to arrive on your deathbed 50 years from now with a big grin on your face feeling like, Lord sakes, that was a ripper, that was colourful. A lot of things happened that I sure never expected, but I did my darndest. I fronted up and gave it my best. And in order to do that, we have to own every one of those 168 hours and live them. And I think equally that means, you know, being uh, conscious about your use of social media because so many people get sucked into the vortex of social media. (laughs) And I know you had a social media account where you had, you know, thousands of people from all around the world had connected with you and were messaging you a lot. And I'm sure when we shut that down, um, <laughs> that that carved out a whole lot of time for you. But being really conscious about where you do share your energy, because there are so many places online where you can give your focus. And so things like turning off notifications and putting the phone down for portions of the day and not being constantly at beck and call of social media. Mm. Um, I talk a lot about that with community managers who do find that the delineation between their own life and and them and the online communities can often get quite blurred. So um, going up 100% when you're on, but disconnecting 100% too at times. When you're off, exactly. And that's a really important issue. I'm a great one for not having any technology in the bedroom at all. Um, The Wi-Fi is not good for you for a start. But checking your phone in the middle of the night is just insanity. You know, (laughs) who's in charge here? (laughs) And we need to get a grip and use this technology. It's like the brain. You're not your brain. You've got a brain. 
and you want to be able to use your brain, not be used by your brain. Well, your phone is just an extension of that because your brain's always firing off little unconscious messages at you, like those notifications. So switch them off, just like you meditate to quieten down what's going on in the brain. Switch them off so that you get a good night's rest, and then you're more able to engage wholeheartedly with your 168 hours. Wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to share with people today, Patria? No, I just wish everybody really the very, very best with building their own community and that community really is the grassroots of any business. Change always happens from the grassroots, not from the top down. It's from the grassroots up. And we all have the capability of building strong communities that have got nothing to do with national borders. They're about relationships of the heart and of the mind where we come together because of some mutual interest. And that's an incredibly powerful community that you nurture and build. And I hope you love it um, like the family that it is because we are all interconnected. And these communities within the larger human community are incredibly powerful, especially at this time when so many people feel isolated and alone with their way of seeing the world. And they need to find other people who see the world in a similar way. And that can be very challenging given geography, but not so challenging in the online world. You might be a really important part of somebody else's safe place. Thank you so much, Patria, Mum. <laughs> how, um, how do people, how would you like people best to connect with you and with Quest for Life? Yeah, they're very welcome to have a look at our website, which is questforlife.org.au, um, or go to the Patria King Meditation Group or the Quest for Life Facebook group. Uh, that keeps you in touch with what we do on a, on a daily basis. And if ever we can be of any service to you or those you love, please don't hesitate to be in touch. It's been she lovely also, talking to you. <laughs> she also has amazing books and meditation relaxation, which I think are available on iTunes. Yeah, and, and as downloads through our, our website as well. The website. Someone asked me the other day whether I listen to your audios when I go to sleep, and I Ooh. asked them whether they would sleep well listening to their mother as they fall asleep. <laughs> Thank you so much for being my 50th guest, Patria, Mum. That's my privilege. Thank it's you. It's been great to talk today. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Social Lights podcast produced by Social Mediology. You can connect with us on Facebook at Social Lights Podcast and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash social lights. Please subscribe in your favourite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.